following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Ready? Is your mind ready to hear what we're going to say? It's going to be good. That's up to you. You know, if you like it, it's yours. Okay. Hey, you know, uh, Mark and Kamala and I were just at uh, the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts for a couple of weeks with Sayadaw Utejaniya. And he's uh, a Burmese monk that uh, we've been practicing with for, for a number of years. And um, Mark was there. Was that the first time you practiced? Or did you, go to, you didn't go to Burma yet? No. Okay. Later. <laughs> so Mark was there for the first time, although he's listened to a lot of the teachings and had exposure to the teachings. So I want to talk tonight a little bit about um, the meaning of the tradition that we've been practicing in, or that most of us have been practicing in for, for decades, um, you know, uh, one tradition out of Burma. And then the meaning of the tradition that Saito Utejaniya is um, uh, practicing in. Because, um, you know, it's very important to understand what, where the uh, teachings come from that you're hearing and, and listening to, and what tradition or what lineage, and how it happened to kind of get where it is. Because in a couple of years, you know, Mark will move on and somebody else will be here. And somebody will be teaching something and you won't know, like, where'd that come from? So I'm going to tell you tonight so that you can keep the oral history of uh, common ground alive. Okay? Okay, so here's the story. <laughs> um, Just due to the um, timing of the Buddha Dharma coming to the West, one of the greatest influences on the practice that we're doing was because of a monk in Burma named Mahasi Sayadaw. And Mahasi Sayadaw had this insight while he was doing his own meditation practice. He had his insight that you didn't have to be a monk or a nun for your lifetime in order to practice meditation successfully, meaning get enlightened. Yep. Lay people like ourselves, householders, people with kids, jobs, relationships, civic, social, domestic responsibilities could meditate and develop their mind and often attain some stage, some degree of liberation or enlightenment. That was a novel idea. Well, it was a novel experience because mostly up until that time you had to be a monk or a nun and commit to life and do the best you could and, and hope for the best. But he saw that even within a couple of months of intensive meditation practice in a retreat, people could do really Pretty, could really develop a momentum and really could uh, see the teachings of the, the Buddha, the Dharma, in their mind. So he started a meditation center for lay people in Rangoon back in 1949. That's a long time ago. That's when I was born. A long time ago. And uh, so over the course of the next several decades, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people went through that meditation center and reached some stage of enlightenment. Amazing. Okay. So it became very popular and that's where a lot of Western students who are interested in the Dharma started their Dharma practice influenced by Mahasi Sayadaw. Okay. When Mahasi Sayadaw opened his meditation center in 1949, he looked around at the monks that he knew who were practicing meditation, who were successful. And he picked the one that he figured 
was the best. And he invited him to come teach at that meditation center. And that monk's name was Shui U Min Saido. Shui U Min Saido. I mean, Gold Cave Hermit Saido. Saido means teacher. The Gold Cave Hermit teacher. And he taught at the center for 10 years, after which he left the center and went through uh, the forest around Rangoon and set up his own monastery. While he was doing that for three decades, uh, Mahasi Saidaw eventually taught many, many, many monks and passed away. And his successor was Saidaw Upandita. Now, if you've heard anybody talking about practice in Burma over the last few decades, it's with Saidaw Upandita mostly. And he's uh, both Kamala and I. Do you know practice with Saidaw Upandita? Yeah, and Mark too? Yeah, and Wynn? It's a, it's a happening thing. So, <laughs> if you haven't had a chance yet, it's almost too late. He's now, what, 93? So, he's still teaching, but he's pretty old. Nevertheless, he has had a great, significant influence on the practices that we do here. And I'm sure Mark's teaching is heavily influenced by both Mahasi Saidaw and Saidaw Bandita. And other teachers, too, but primarily or significantly by those two. So, Saito Bandita teaches a very formal, rigorous, uh, demanding uh, style of practice, which you know, moves you along in your uh, progression and, and to attain certainly significant insight knowledge and sometimes stages of, of liberation. But after I practiced with him for in that tradition, for 30 years, I had heard about this monk who was teaching mindfulness of mind, chitta nupasana, or awareness of mind. And I heard about him, and I thought, I'd like to go see what he's teaching. So I went to my teacher, Upandita, and I said, you know, I've heard there's this teacher who teaches mindfulness of mind. I'd like to know what I'd like to know how he teaches that. And Saito Upandita, you know, teachers are a little bit jealous of their students. They, they kind of like want to keep them in hand, you know, it's like loyalty thing. It's like, you're my student. <laughs> you know, don't go there. Uh, but they also want you to get as much knowledge, as much experience, as much teachings as you need. So Saito Upandita said, well, if you want to learn how to practice mindfulness of mind, you must go to someone who practices that way and practice with full commitment. Do exactly what they say and keep doing it until you understand for yourself. Well, that's how you do it. I didn't ask him for permission to leave him and to go practice with this other teacher. I just told him what I wanted to do and he said, well, this is how you do it. So I went and I went to the Shui U Min Gold Cave Hermits Meditation Center. He had recently passed away, but his successor, the one that he appointed to keep teaching in his method, was Saito Utejaniya. Now, Saito Utejaniya is he's about your age, maybe? He's about 40, 40, Late 40. Did he just turn 50? I think he's turning 50 this year, maybe. He's young. And um, he has been a monk now for 15 or so years, but he was a layman, like a householder. And, you know, went to school and got married, and he was a businessman. He had a retail clothing shop in the market. So every day he was in the market doing his thing. But as he was growing up, he was, I think, number nine in a family of nine, seven of which were doctors. One was a reprobate, and then there was him. <laughs> and since there were so many kids in the family, he didn't get much attention. And so his friend, his parental figure in life was Shui Saido. His family was students of Shui So he would go there. All his school holidays, he'd go there and hang out with the monastery and play and talk to Saido. And he had a very intimate relationship with Shui Saido. Just uh, kind of good friend, father figure, uncle, therapist, mentor, uh, 
benefactor for his whole life from the time growing up. And so he had uh, a very good working and uh, relationship. And Sayadaw knew, uh, knew his mind, knew the mind of Utejaniya. And so he ordained, you know, when a young boy, when he was a young boy, he ordained because that's a tradition in Burma for a couple of months now and then, four, five, six different times. And one time, after some number of years, when he ordained, Sri Yumin Sayadaw said, why don't you start teaching? And uh, <laughs> occasionally he said, well, uh, I hadn't planned to stay a monk. And he said, well, why not? So he did. <laughs> like that. And so now Sayadaw Uttajaniya has been teaching for quite a few years, 15, 15, 16, 18 years, something like that. And he has a distinctive style of teaching mindfulness of mind, some of which I kind of pointed out in the guiding meditation. What's significant about practicing mindfulness of mind is you can do it all the time. You don't have to be sitting, you don't have to have your eyes closed, you don't have to walk slow, you don't have to count your breath, you don't have to, you can be doing the dishes, driving a car, talking on the phone, checking email, Twitter, Glitter, whatever it is you do, you can be doing that and watching your mind. Now what does it, what does it mean to watch your mind? It means to know what's going on in your mind. What's going on in your mind now? Check your mind. What, what, what's going on? Are you interested? Are you bored? Are you confused? Are you perplexed? Curious? Receptive? It's not easy, but it's not that difficult either. You just ask yourself, what's going on in the mind? Is the mind aware? Do you know? Are, are you aware now? That's all. Just ask yourself, are you aware of what's going on? That's checking your mind. And while it seems so easy, so simple, and what's so magical about that? What's so spiritual about that? That's not very esoteric. It's hardly even Buddhist. It's certainly not Asian. It's like, why would I want to do that? It's like it's, it's just kind of like normal. Yeah, right. It's normal. That's why it's good to learn how to do it because most of our life is very mundane. Most of the activities of our life is very mundane, very ordinary, nothing special, repetitive. Like how many times this, in this lifetime have you brushed your teeth? Well, how many times have you checked your email in the last decade? Yeah. Wouldn't it be good to have your, to know what your mind was doing every time you did that? Why, oh, you'd be mindful all day long, right? And that's the whole point. The whole point is to learn how to be watching your mind all day long. We can't sit still all day long with our eyes closed, cross-legged in a quiet room with incense burning and candles and chimes playing. Or turn up, maybe for 20 minutes a day. But... Our mind is with us all the time, right? So the practice is to learn to check your mind, check and see, is your mind, uh, is your mind present? Are you remembering the present moment's experience, to recognize the present moment's experience? What could be easier? Well, a lot of things could be easier, <laughs> but with training, we can do that. This is particularly useful for householders like ourselves. We're busy. Is there anybody here not busy in their life? You know, we're all overextended. So we have to rush around and we, we can't we can't just go slow and sit quietly all the time. Sometimes, and that's good. So it's good to know how to check your mind when you're busy. Check your mind when you're hurrying. Check your mind when it's boring. Check your mind when you're feeling stressed. Check your mind when you're having an argument with your spouse, partner. Check your mind when you're feeling elated at it relationship with your partner or check your mind when every anything it's easy just ask yourself what's the mind doing now is the mind present is the mind aware that this is what's going on in life right now after all we only get to live this moment once we're either here for it or we're not and if we're not we miss it we miss life we miss the life of that moment. And if we're not checking our mind very much, we're going to miss a lot of moments. And it's like, 
it's like not even being alive, really, because we're not present and aware with what is going on in life. So that's the, the motivation for checking your mind to see, are you aware that you're living right now? Are you aware that this is the moment of your life right now? All the past is gone. Never to come back. Anything you ever did in the past, gone, over, finished. And the future is just a thought in your mind. It isn't here yet. It's never going to arrive. It's just a thought. The only moment that you're living is right now. Are you aware of it? If you're not, you're not even aware. You're not alive even now. So, this kind of practice that Sayadaw is teaching is to, uh, whatever else you're doing, you can pay attention to the breath, you can pay attention to your kids, you can pay attention to your job, you can pay attention to your email, but pay attention to your mind while doing that so that you can recognize, that this is important, whether the mind is filled with wholesome, skillful, good human qualities like kindness, generosity, patience, endurance, energy, loving kindness, compassion, or whether the mind is filled with negativity, irritation, feeling pissy, kind of like you know, critical and cynical. And I mean, because, well, let's face it, we have some of each in our mind and it comes up. And when the mind is feeling really kind of irritated and frustrated and disappointed and stressed and kind of anxious about the economy and the politics in the country and the environment and that's it's like life is not pleasant. Right? But that's a choice that we make. We 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 make a choice to let those qualities of heart mind arise and not do anything about it. Or we can cultivate wholesome qualities, awareness itself, wholesome quality, understanding, wholesome quality, patience, loving kindness, compassion, generosity, all wholesome qualities of mind, which, and that's, this is the whole purpose of developing a mind or practicing meditation or studying the Dharma or anything else that's offered here, is to cultivate the wholesome, natural qualities of human heart that we all have in us anyway strengthen them, and to minimize or reduce the frequency of the unwholesome, unskillful uh, states of mind that cause us to suffer. How am I doing? Okay. Pretty good? Your time's almost up. My time's almost up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, what's next? That's what my mind's doing. Um, because the formal practice that Sayadaw Upandita teaches and the informal practice that Utejaniya teaches seem to be so different. You know, this is very strict, slow, micro, micro uh, movements and focusing very hard, Upandita style. And with Utejaniya style, it's like being very relaxed and open, letting anything happen and being aware of your mind. And they sound like Two very different, well, techniques, but actually they're very complementary. They go together very well. If you practice Sayadaw Upandita style with a very relaxed, open attitude of mind and watching the mind, you won't get caught in striving, you won't get caught in being really tight and rigid and expecting and frustrated. But on the other hand, if you're practicing rotation in styles, very open and relaxed and allowing and patient, you won't just space out because you'll be checking. Moment to moment, as Saito Bandita will demand of you. Moment to moment, what's going on? What's going on? Are you aware? Where? Just once per second, it's, it's not much. It's every second. <laughs> you know. So that's why it's important to have instruction in both. To have the instruction in the very formal, moment-to-moment, -moment, close observation of chosen object, like the breath, and to have a very, what I'm going to say is, relaxed, but not casual, relaxed, open, receptive attitude of mind where you're watching the mind. 
because the two go together like hand in glove. Either one of them has their limitations and you can get spaced out on one end or you can get really tight and rigid and really wound up on the other end. And if you have the two of them, you can check one against the other in an ongoing way and have a much more balanced mind and a much more wholesome uh, attitude of mind. So I've been studying uh, and practicing for about 37 plus years already, and I was trained by mostly Munindraji and Sayadaw Pandita. And it was really good that I started with Manindraji because he started with that more relaxed, loving, a lot of compassionate understanding and connection uh, with him towards me. And then, so I had that a lot for myself. When I started practicing with Upandita, it was very, uh, there was so much precision in it, but I needed that because what it gave me was a clarity to see what was going on very clearly, moment to moment. And he also emphasized continuity. And in raising my children, and having uh, for, for a number of years being a single parent, um, when I look back, I notice that when I, when I go to meditate, what I wanted to do was really just be in a place of silence. <laughs> Actually, to go and see what my mind was doing was a lot of suffering. And what I wanted to do a lot was just be with the breath all the time, to go in a place of stillness. So that if anybody interrupted me, it would be like, you're bothering me, but I didn't even know it, you know, in my daily life. It was like, uh, it was an interruption of what I really wanted to do was to be still, to be silent inside. But I didn't see that there was aversion in the mind in my daily life as much as I did on the cushion. And I really wanted to understand how can I bring this more and more in my daily life so that I can walk around and notice what's going on in the mind and not be, if I'm in a place of stillness, just walking, doing my walk, and somebody wanted to talk to me on, on the road uh, where I walk, and it, it would be fine. I could, I could notice the aversion in the mind of feeling like I don't want to talk to you right now. I, I could notice that, still carry on a conversation, and keep going. But I really didn't learn that until I had some training with Sayadaw Utejaniya. So what happened was several years ago, I did a month-long retreat with him. And in his uh, instruction, he would say, I don't want you to do any formal walking at all. No back and forth. Just walk. Just do your walk around the meditation center or whatever you do. And he said, no striving. Because I'm, I, I'm, I'm such a striver. You know, I, I really like to see things precisely in my meditation. And that has gotten me a long ways, of course. And so the other instruction that he gave me was, when you feel like you have to go and sit in that hall, and as soon as you notice that I should do this, I want you to turn around and leave the hall. So I was in the, this place, the Forest Refuge, practicing, and I, I have this feeling that I didn't even know, you know, in my room, it's time to sit. It's I should be there. And so I'd walk over, and I wouldn't even be noticing what's going on in the mind until maybe I got to the hall, and it happened a few times. I'd get to the hall, and I'd remember Utejaniya's instruction. If you think you should be sitting, watch what's going on in your mind. Notice that. But see what happens if you don't sit. Just work with that. So I would, literally, I would just go in the hall. I'd realize oh, the mind is shooting. It, it needs, it's saying, you know, I remember Ram Dass said, don't shoot upon yourself. Remember that? <laughs> there are a lot of us in that age group. And um, I would realize that, and it would be this constriction in the mind. And it was, there was a lot of suffering going on there. And I wouldn't know that in my daily life. 
So it's really important to watch that constriction and watch that suffering and watch that striving. So literally, I would get in that... Some of you have been to the forest refuge, and you know what I mean. You walk in that hall, and the, the forests are pretty creaky for being a new place. And I'd walk in, and then I would think, I have to leave. That was my instruction. And then I would think, I'm a teacher here, and I'm walking in, and then I'm turning around, you know, and it would be more like embarrassment, a sense of self, and all of that. And so there would be also times when I'd walk into that hall, I'd take a seat, and I'd realize too much striving, because I think I should be here. But I can, I can notice what's going on anywhere, and that was the training. You can notice what's going on anywhere. It's not that you have to go. Intensive retreats are good, but you don't have to do that in order to realize what's going on in the refined places of your mind. And, you know, constriction is not such a refined place. So also during that retreat, I was doing walking meditation, just simply walking around the Louvre or going down the road and... One time, I was walking, Seidel, um Utejani was coming up the road, I was going down the hill, and I thought, you know, usually nobody talks to each other. Everybody's like, even the teacher goes by and minding his or her own business. But he approached me, and I thought, well, maybe he needs something. Or he approached me and he said, what is your mind doing now? And I, I was just really on the spot because it was, I, it was maybe a little spaced out, or, and so I, I recognized in the moment what was going on, hearing, because hearing the voice, hearing the birds. So I answered, hearing, hearing. And uh, then I, I told this story of the retreat we were just at, but I didn't, I forgot one part, and that is he said, no, what is your mind doing in relationship to the hearing? Like, what is your mind's response to that hearing? Is it delight? That's what he was really meaning. Is it, is it delight? Is it wanting it to continue? Is it um, frustration? Are you, you know, is it interrupting your peace? <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. And so I didn't know. I didn't know how to answer him. So then I was really on alert because I'd be walking and he'd be walking a lot of times with Steve and I thought, oh my gosh, he could stop me at any time. <laughs> so it really alerted me to watch what's going on in the mind. Sure enough, you know, I, I knew it, I saw those robes and I thought, he's going to approach me. You know, so he did and he asked me what's going on in the mind and I was able to tell him that I said, I saw you arriving and I was fearful that you were going to ask or something like that. Something about like, you know, I felt on the spot, etc. Very good. He said, very good. So then, um, then one time after that retreat, he went home with us to Maui and he stayed in our little cottage and uh, he did his retreat, a little retreat there. But he's the kind of person because he he learned all of his practice mostly out of retreat situation. He learned it like a home practice just like you're learning when you come to this wonderful place. So anytime I went someplace, he wanted to go. So I said, Seda, I'm going to the store and uh, I'll be back and I'm bringing, you know, Mated and some of the other, the translator. And he'd say, I want to go. And I'd say, oh, this is just like Manindraji. You know, we always wanted to go shopping, my other teacher, just to see what everything was like. So Sayadaw went with me to the, to the grocery store, to the health food store. And uh, I remember that I was paying the bill. And the, I handed the man the credit card. And he said, this one doesn't work. And I, I was a little surprised. And I realized, oh, maybe it was um, I don't don't have the new card. Luckily, we have two cards, so I gave him the other card. And on the side, Sado was standing behind the checker, and he was watching my face. <laughs> and so we, as we were walking at the door, and he said, "What was going on in your mind when the checker said that to you? Were you angry? 
and I said no and he said what was going on I said I don't know I I, I was just paying attention to you know you can get to paying attention so much to the bodily movements and to that you don't know what's going on in your mind so I I practiced a long long time and I can say that my teachers are, are happy with my practice but this daily life practice of noticing what's going on in the mind became utterly important to me and the, Steve said something in the retreat we were just at as he was teaching he just made this offhanded remark about the mind is where karma is made and that really was like that's why it's so important to me uh, I, I kind of realized that all along because mind is is where everything starts the heart mind and where ill will and greed clinging you know really come from out of habit and so if we're not watching that moment to moment and say we're not acting on it or a lot of times it, it comes and goes we're not acting on it the words aren't coming from there but what's happening is it's being uh, continued out of delusion out of habit if it's not being watched it's not being uh, we're not having a uh, just looking after our minds we take a lot of time to look after our bodies what about looking after our minds moment to moment we, uh, we take a lot of time for most of us a lot of energy and time watching what we eat so that we eat properly but what about the emotions that are the detrimental emotions that are going through the mind we're eating them all the time they're feeding our future moment to moment to moment it's so important to notice what is going on in life and when Steve said that in in the Dharma talk I thought well that's why it's so important to me because it, it's so important to cultivate wholesome states of mind and so important to um, let go mm -hmm. to relinquish the unwholesome states of mind but how can we do that if we don't know that it's happening and we have this wonderful practice called mindful awareness and what's so wonderful about it is when mindful awareness comes to notice those wholesome states of mind they're actually nourished they're developed they grow they strengthen mindfulness itself is a wholesome state of mind it is the leader of all the beautiful states of mind it said when mindfulness is there then all the wholesome states of mind are nearby because they come together as a group like attracts like so all the 25 wholesome states of the mind and all the different permutations of it come about so the beautiful states of mind get developed when mindfulness is there and mindfulness itself becomes more and more uh, empowered in the mind so that it has continuity and also when mindfulness uh, connects with the unwholesome states of mind and knows that that is present when mindfulness is really strong what's happening is the wholesome state the unwholesome state of mind ill will attachment and delusion all its various uh, ways that it manifests they weaken so it's interesting when mindfulness touches wholesome states they strengthen when mindfulness touches unwholesome states they weaken and uh, a lot of why they weaken is because mindfulness is can be so strong when all the um, when all the enlightened qualities of the mind um, the seven factors of enlightenment get strong mindfulness strengthens with that and all of the six factors not including mindfulness feed into mindfulness and make it really really strong so when mindfulness gets so strong whatever whatever ill will that it faces or attachment clinging um, and delusion that it faces it can't live in that light of, of uh, mindfulness it says that when mindfulness is there it, the light um, just obliterates the the dark forces of the mind.
so it's so important to bring mindfulness time by time into our daily life and sometimes we just when we bring it to our daily life we're just noticing very neutral states it's just uh, we're not reacting at all it might not be so much that it's wholesome but we notice that there's non-reactivity there or we might just notice in a moment that there could be some reactivity of ill will or strong wanting it's just not there or it's very very weak and that in itself brings a lot of confidence to the mind so noticing your your states moment by moment by noticing them all the time it you gain momentum the habit pattern that becomes the default setting of your mind just being mindful so I noticed many more times now in daily life it didn't take much because I had all that training behind me it didn't take much to intentionally and on purpose turn the attention to the mind more often so not just when walking just walk or just step but when stepping notice stepping and notice what's going on in the mind it's not just when eating just eat just chew but also what's no- noticing what's going on in the mind so taking a little extra step or maybe it's the first step that you take um, since Steve and I have been practicing in, in this style of intentionally bringing the attention to the mind more immediately there has been just a lot less of um, times when we disagree about something there's been a lot Steve's been working on patience he's really <laughs> bad so I'm not telling any secrets and I, I must admit that he's just incredibly more patient <laughs> and I'm more patient when he is impatient you know so I, I, I can notice that in the mind and I can just notice that okay there's impatience here now it's not a time to say something just drop it for now but later you can get it <laughs> So uh, that's why it's so important. We clean our karma by watching the mind. So now it's time for questions. Just about your own practice. Could it be the case that practice we're talking about this evening is is appropriate or better for individuals in different places in their practice. So for example, if somebody who has been practicing for a number of years before you began to do this, um, I have a relatively new still. And um, uh, it, it strikes me as too much granularity for what you're doing for me, you know, for everyone. And with other things about my own confidence that I need to balance. Yeah. And you know what I have to go for. So I, I, I just at this point I can't see myself doing that. At least mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, giving the benefit that you're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if maybe it's it could be something that further down the road it might have a better presence for me. It could be for you. I'll speak a little and then let Steve. Uh, it's so individual with people, and if that's your intuitive understanding about yourself, then I would say just really honor that. You know that 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 is where you're at right now. That what you may if when you speak more to to uh, mark about it or who, whoever the teacher that you approach then mark uh, will see precisely you know and, and help you have be more clear about what you need maybe you, you really need that more grounding of being with the breath being with the body it's true yeah yeah right but I must say that there are a lot of uh, people that we see that are quite new to the practice and they open up to this practice right away and we see a lot of understanding happening in their practice quite readily because they're coming from a different it's not it's not a question of of a time if for like everybody it's not just a general thing it's not one size fits all 
but it's unique for everybody. That's a good question that you ask because we, all, all of us, have practiced for many years in one tradition and then have kind of picked up a second tradition. So it it looks like, oh, that's what you got to do to get it. Uh, but I want to tell a story about the, when I first went to practice Ruth Sadrutajaniya. I went to his monastery and I was going to be there six weeks. And I'd always practiced in a monastery and in retreats where it's quiet and slow and very subdued and you're really paying microscopic attention to everything. And I got to the monastery. People are hanging out. They're talking. They're talking in the meditation hall. They're not following any schedule. They're walking, holding hands like the Chazad Yada at sunset, walking up and down, talking. They've got their arms around each other. Sometimes they're standing around in big groups and I'm thinking, these people can't be practicing. <laughs> and, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't watching my mind at the time, so I didn't notice that I was critical. I was just critical. Anyway, I was watching. It's like, huh. so I, I tried doing my regular practice, you know, slow, focused, don't look around, you know, don't give yourself the opportunity to get distracted because what? Your mind's going to think? Oh, your mind, gets, your mind thinks anyway. But anyway, so I was, I was doing that and there was this one couple there that was practicing when I was there. They're from uh, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, I think. Uh, and Prague, where's Prague? Czech Republic. Czech Republic, that's it. So they were there, and uh, there was a, a girl, a woman, a young woman, probably mid to late 20s and her boyfriend. And uh, they'd only been just started practice, uh, you know, a month, or so, a month or so ago. And she was having a heck of a time. She was so... Oh, she was suffering. She couldn't sit more than 10 minutes. And in the course of a day, she slept maybe 12, 15 hours. Really. She was just like, she could not. And when she walked, she just... It's like it was, it, you could see it was so uncomfortable for even to walk. She was just so restless. Her mind was just a mess. It was just, you know, I wanted to pull her aside and give her a talk on the four, on the five hindrances so she could begin to get a handle. But I said, no, I'm not teaching. I'm just here to practice. Okay. Now, well, she was there for, for three for three months, just like that, the whole time. And it was like, it was painful to watch. And I just thought, wow, this, this can't be working for her. This is really, <laughs> this is a mess. But, uh, so, you know, I went off and... and I went back a year later and was practicing again and she wasn't there that time but then when I went the following year I'd been away for a year and a half or so uh, she was there again and I said oh you're back and she said oh yeah and I said hey uh, how's your practice uh, well what brought you back <laughs> I mean you had such a heck of a time and she said oh you know the last time I was here that was so good that was like I learned so much about myself you know, I just, I really begin to understand the mind. You know, she would, by any objective standard, she was, a, she was, she was not meditating well. She couldn't sit for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. She was just sloppy, lobby, just sleepy, sleepy. It was like, she was a wreck. But she learned about her mind. So that when she, she had to go to Europe, she had to go to London and work for a year, year and a half to earn some more money to come back to Burma. So she said, that was the best time of my life. Oh. <laughs> you imagine? I learned, but it's because she learned about her mind. She learned how to watch her mind. It's not about becoming still, slow, whatever. It's about what do you know about your mind? So that whatever you got to do, even if you can only do it for 10 minutes, sitting, fine, you know your mind. Then you get up and you walk. Good, fine, know your mind. Then you go to sleep. Good, fine, know your mind. Then you got to go to London and work for a year and a half. Good, right? Know your mind. And it made me see that I couldn't judge other people's practice from my own experience. You know, even, even looking at her, I would say, I wouldn't want to run my retreat because it seemed to be really hard to deal with. But now I've changed my retreat. Wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but Kamala's right. Give it a try. 
See if it works. Try it. I mean, it's different. Um, it might resonate with some of you. It might not resonate. And there might be another time in your practice when it'd be more suitable. Okay, I'm going to go. I saw you first. Yeah. You're, you. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I um, had done the art. I think it was probably a couple months ago. And I walked into his office and just, um, I think I'm losing my mind. You think you're losing your mind? Good. I mean, kind of. And what has been going on for me is um, undergoing, like, a major, like, earthquake in my life for, um, for quite a sustained and I kept going to people and saying, can't you see what's going on? And people would be like, no. And so I thought I was losing my mind. And I think what I've been, what I've gained, or not gained, but what I no longer feel like I'm losing my mind. I'm not in that state of losing my mind because of, I think, of the practice and um, it's almost like the, I was reacting constantly to the external stuff that has been going on in my life for a long period of time, so that I did really think I was I was my mind. So I think this practice has helped me because I lost my I lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> So I'm, I'm grateful to hear it. Yeah. Of, of happen. So now we. My mind. <laughs> you still got it, and it's okay though. So here we have a testimonial on the power of learning how to lose your mind. Watch your mind. <laughs> if you're losing your mind, and it's, you made a good point. Stuff happens in our life. You know, I mean. Dramatic stuff, painful stuff, difficult stuff, transitions are foisted off upon us, and, you know, we just got to deal with a lot of stuff. And it's, you know, it's not always easy. It's often very, very difficult and challenging, depending on whether you can watch your mind in reaction to or in relationship to stuff that's happening. And that's where all the suffering takes place. You know, the economy does what it does, and relationships do what they do, and jobs do what they do, and, it, you know, the environment. It, 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 it just does what it does. How are you relating to it? How you're relating to it is what's going on in your mind. So if you're checking your mind, you're checking whether it's stressing you out, whether you're okay with it, whether you're being critical of it, whether you're beating yourself up, whether you're criticizing somebody else for it. And that's where suffering takes place. That's where karma takes place, too. So that's why watching your mind is the kind of the foundation for having a skillful relationship with all of your life. Now you could, at that time, be watching your breath and calm down. Really calm down. Just really good at watching your breath. Really calm down. But as soon as you stop watching your breath, boom, you know, you're losing your mind again. You found your breath, but you lost your mind. No. So then, it would be good to know how to notice your mind. Okay. That's good. Any other questions? Yeah. No. Any other questions? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, this morning, I was in a very crabby and impatient state of mind. Did you notice that? Yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> and... Yes. So you hear the comment? You know, crabby and uh, being mindful of it, and any other any other thing to do about it? I think I think. I'm gonna I'm gonna give my 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 suggestion, and then come with things. I think the most important thing to do when you 
are besieged by an unwholesome state of mind like that, and you're really crappy, is to remember what right view is in that situation. Now, right view is one of the factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, right? It's a wisdom factor. Right view is how you understand what is going on. Now, Gene, you've been a student a long time. We, we know each other. I, I don't want to embarrass you, and I don't want to uh, kind of shame you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use what you said as a teaching opportunity, okay? Okay. What's the right view of, I'm feeling crabby? The right view of, I'm feeling crabby is, Conditions have come together in such a way that crabbiness has arisen in the mind. It's not me. It's not mine. It's not who I am. But conditions have come together to give rise to this feeling of crabbiness. Oh, crabbiness? What's that? Let me get curious about crabbiness. What can I learn about the nature of crabbiness? How did that arise? How long does it last? What does it do to your thinking? What does it do to your relationship to the person you're with, that you're crabby with? So that you, if you can observe it for while it's there, you don't feel crabby. You're, you're mindful of the nature of crabbiness. If those conditions come together, anybody would be crabby. It's not yours. It's not personal. It's due to cause and condition. It is in the very nature of you know, in the spring, now that I'm here, I see the trees are full of leaves. Did those trees grow those leaves? No, not really. It's the sun, the soil, the season, the temperature, the fertilizer, whatever they put on them. That grew the leaves. The conditions came together to grow the leaves on the tree. That tree better not get identified with them, because in a couple of months, they're going to fall off. They're going to be lonesome. They feel naked. Also, don't get identified with it. Just because it leaves on the tree is not the tree's leaves. Okay? Just because crabbiness arrives in the mind to be known doesn't mean it's your crabbiness. Conditions have come together, given rise to crabbiness. That's right view. So, if you can bring that right view to bear on the situation at the time, you can get curious, you can get interested, you can get fascinated with crabbiness because you're going to learn something about it. But you won't be crabby. Kamala's looking, Kamala's looking skeptical. I'm noticing my mind. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, in relationship with your son, you know... It, oh, right. <laughs> I'm the one who thinks about those things. <laughs> um, it's really important how you describe what's going on to somebody else so that even at that moment you're not using the vocabulary that um, supports a kind of identification with that experience so I don't always do it but I do it a lot uh, where something like that would come up and I would say you know the mind just isn't working the way it usually works right now and it's really hard for me to talk about that right now. And so I don't say I'm in a crabby mood or because that kind of vocabulary supports that kind of identification. So just be careful about the way you describe that. The way you can talk about it is how it's come up, how conditions have come together, and I just can't think straight right now. And in fact, there's there's a little bit of crabbiness in the mind. You know, something like that. And if you're not as identified with it, even in the way you talk, then the person you're talking to may not pin so much on you or himself. Or, you know, we can, we can teach each other something by the way we speak about our emotions. Not our emotions, but the emotions. Hi, 
And the more I got thinking about it, it sounded like a real almost burden to be aware of that all the time. So it was a contradiction almost. Did you feel that thing? I mean, yeah. 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 Well, uh, that can be in the beginning. It can feel ominous to to feel that way. That kind of you haven't really experienced how that can happen actually in your life, but you're thinking about the future of how it might be. So when you actually try it, it might be different than how you're actually thinking about it right now. That's one thing. Yeah. And the other thing is that we have no idea sometimes how much we are holding and how much energy it takes to not be aware. All the mental states that come through the mind that aren't supportive to our life, how much that drains our life. So there's, there's a lot more energy that is, is taken away from us from that draining than, you, than we can normally imagine. And when you, when you notice, when you're mindful more often, how much that's lightened up, you'll see that that takes it takes a lot more energy to to be unconscious than it does to be conscious. Um, it's not just theory for me. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm wondering about people talking and you talking about uh, the different techniques, lineages. Um, it kind of makes me wonder, granted times are changing, how close or how far it is from the actual teachings of the Buddha. You know, like, I'm surprised that you've been with one teacher for that many years and discovered something else. Um, and then wasn't that in the teaching to begin with? Kind of makes me think. So if you could just talk about that. So the question is about how could I practice 30 years in one tradition and then find something in another tradition that didn't seem to be there in the first tradition, like that? And also in relation to the original teachings of the Buddha. Original teachings of the Buddha. Well, the original teachings of the Buddha is about 40 volumes. I haven't read them. Oh, by, by any means. It's not necessary to read them all. It's not necessary to learn them all because there are many paths to awareness and awakening and, and freeing the heart and mind. And so some teachers have honed their skill and knowledge and techniques in a certain, on, on a certain path of uh, practice, which is effective. Other teachers have learned other techniques and use other teachings and other practices to hone and to refine a path of practice that also leads to liberation, but they're very different. The reason that I was interested in learning a new teaching technique was because I have many students, or many students come, and some resonate with this and some don't. So if I have another option and offer that, then I have more to offer students. It doesn't mean that one is wrong, one is right, or one is better, one is worse. It means that if you have more skill in a wider range of, if you have more tools in your toolbox, you can do more jobs. So it's like that. But I want to step back and say that in the practice with Saito Bandita and in the Mahasi Saito tradition, Initially, you start out with a certain technique and practice, and you have certain kinds of experiences. But it doesn't take too long before you get to mindfulness of mind and working with, and in much the same way that you do with Utejaniya. But it's it's later in the later in the course of practice. So you're learning you learn it through your prior practice. But Sayadaw he starts out day one, 
somebody straight off the street, never done any practice, he says, here, watch your mind. <laughs> so he's got the language, he's got the kinds of encouragement, he's got the way of answering questions that that kind of student has. And so he, I wanted to learn how he pointed to the mind for people that had never done the kind of practice I'd done. So it was, it was learning an, another, it was learning teaching skills as much as learning how to do it for myself. So in that way, I would say it wasn't not present in the Mahasi tradition. It just wasn't presented in the same way at the same time in that tradition. <clears throat> to give you another example, Mahasi Sayadaw's, one of his great contributions to this practice is that he had a very uh, he he had a very clear understanding of the progression of knowledge that unfolds as you practice insight. It's called the progress of insight, different knowledge. And he had very you know after observing hundreds of thousands of people do this, he had a very clear description of what occurs at each stage of insight. Okay, so that is the map that he uses to guide students and everyone in that tradition, to guide students along the path of awakening. Saito Otejinian knows that very well. He knows that path his teacher taught him. He knows that path. He's been through the stages. He knows it left and right. He never teaches it. Doesn't teach it. Doesn't use it at all in his teaching of uh, students in his method. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that he's got a different way of approaching it. And from my experience, I see both in myself and in others, both practices work very well. So, is that kind of a question? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. an approach versus the teaching. Say it again. So you are saying more of a different approach. Yeah, sure. sure. If you want to get to St. Paul, are we in St. Paul? No, we're yeah. in Minneapolis. If you want to get to St. Paul, there are many roads, many ways to get there, right? I think. That's more than one. <laughs> Is there more than one bridge? More than needed. More than needed. Oh, okay. See, it's just a matter of, you know, if you, if you set your GPS, you still probably get a couple of options like that. So I, I wanted to say one more thing about that. Yeah. Um, and then we'll probably have to end. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, during the time of the Buddha, his teachings were vast. I mean, he, if you read some, even some of the suttas, you'd be able to see that he could tell one student or one disciple uh, to look at this white cloth and see what's going on there, and then that person would become enlightened, you know, or to look at a flower dissolve, and then so he had so so many ways of teaching, and the way I look at our teaching sangha is that. There has to be many ways of teaching because there's so many different kinds of people. And, uh, you know, it's like even all of us put together can't make the Buddha, but we're doing our best. Right, Mark? <laughs> yeah. So. Thank you very much yeah. for coming and listening and being interested. Thanks so much, Kamala. It's great to have you here. Hope you'll be back. And I always invite them not just to come in June, but any time they want to come and teach. So maybe we'll get one or both of them at some other time when they've got some extra time. They travel around quite a bit and teach in other places besides Spirit Rock and IMS. And if you'd like to support the livelihood and the Dharma work that they do, you can leave a donation. We share most of the donations that come in when we have guest teachers with the guest teachers. And you can also go to the website, which is is it the vipassanameta.org. or just contact our office, and we'll connect you with that. And there are a lot of talks you can listen to by Carl and Steve on Dharma Seed. They record a lot of the most of the talks at uh, Spirit Rock and IMS, and it's just a donor-based or donation-based uh, online organization. Lots of good uh, Dharma there, teachings that you can connect with if you're interested, including all of Saito Utejaniya's Dharma discussions that Wynn and I have been listening to, and I know a number of community members have been listening to since they got posted in uh, mid-May. So they're all online, including uh, Steve and Carol Wilson's uh, 
encouragements that they gave every morning uh, during that two-week retreat. They're also online there. And uh, this retreat that we just finished, I developed each of those morning things into a full Dharma talk. Uh, no so there's key. like uh, four new Dharma talks that are about this kind of practice. They'll be up by Thursday. And Dharma Sutra. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Thank you, Kamala. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.